Hello, welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast, hosted by me, Jack Perks. Professionally, I'm a wildlife cameraman, but I dabble in podcasting, and each Tuesday we release an episode as I have a chat with scientists, artists, filmmakers, and passionate people all about nature in a light-hearted and certainly not serious way. Hello and welcome to the Bearded Tits podcast. I'm your host, Jack Perks, and this is the first in a series of podcasts called Jack Does Stuff, where, yes, you guessed it, I do stuff. Now, in this one, I'm going bird ringing with fellow Nottinghamshire Jack, Jack Badhams. Jack also hosts the How Many Geese podcast, and he is a very good naturalist and keen birder himself. So he very kindly invited me out again to go do some bird ringing with him. So it was really interesting to get to grips with some of the birds that he catches and learn a little bit more about that. But before we do that, let's talk about buymeacoffee.com. Now, as many of you will already know, if you're regular listeners, I have buymeacoffee.com, which is a way for people to donate money towards the podcast to help it ticking along. Currently, we're trying to raise £500 to get some new microphones, and we are 68% of the way there. So if you're feeling particularly generous and you enjoy these podcasts, bearing in mind I don't have any sponsors or anything, this is the only way that I make any money from this podcast, then please donate to that. I'm just going to read out some of the people who've already donated. And John got a coffee and his message is, thanks Jack, unputdownable. Thank you, John. Uh, Someone donated anonymously, so I just want to say thanks to them. And then Chris also donated and he's put, As a fisherman, great to hear about the fight to stop river pollution. Thanks. That was last week's episode with Ashley Smith, which if you haven't listened to already, obviously I highly recommend. So thanks for that. If you do donate to buymeacoffee.com, I'll read out your message in the following week's podcast. So thanks for doing that. Now, let's get back to the bird ringing. It was a early October morning. I got there about six o'clock in the morning with Jack to help put the nets up. I actually saw a hedgehog when I was reversing out my drive. That's the first time I've seen a hedgehog really close to my front garden, so absolutely chuffed to have seen that. We met at a place called Cresswell Crags, which is a lovely reserve. It's not really a reserve, it's a kind of cavey area, but there is some kind of natural stuff there. And that is near where Jack lives, and that's his sort of local patch where he collects data on all of these birds. So, without further ado, here's this week's podcast. Well, Jack, we're sat down at Cresswell Crags today, and I think we'll start with a nice, easy question. Uh, what is bird ringing for the uninitiated? Yeah, so bird ringing is the process of tagging birds. So the easiest way to tag a bird, the most common way of tagging a bird, is to fit a metal ring to its leg that it wears pretty much like a bracelet, like an anklet, um, that's got a unique metal number on there that will stay with that bird throughout its entire life And it means if it's ever recaptured, if it's ever found injured or dead, uh, then it can be identified and tracked back to a particular location if we want to work out where the bird's gone from, or a particular date if we want to learn how old it is. And we've put, again, I say we, you did all the work. (laughs) You're an excellent scribe. Thank you. That's the main main thing. My handwriting's atrocious, but I can write. We've put some nets out in the woods so you well you talk me through it what have you put out today yeah so 
what we've done today is we've done what is a pretty standard ringing session here at Creswell Crags. So I've been monitoring the birds here through bird ringing for years. And we have a site that we use that's just out in the meadow by the visitor centre here. And we target nets around the bird feeders because that's where the birds are coming to feed. Um, so we get lots of catches of what, what common garden birds, goldfinches, blue tits, great tits, all that sort of stuff. Um, and then the special thing that we have here is we can put a short net over the little stream that runs through here. Uh, and that's where we catch kingfishers. That'd be good, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess people might ask, why do you do it? Why Why is it like, Is it? it's not quite like fishing, is it? People aren't catching these <laughs> birds for... Uh, enjoyment I guess some people might enjoy it but what what's the reason for catching birds for bird ringing yeah I mean it's de it's definitely very enjoyable but it's um it's scientific uh we're we're doing this to learn about not only where birds go and how long they live but also by taking these measurements and things that we're able to do when we have the birds in the hand we're able to learn about body condition we're able to learn about year-to-year -year survival we're able to learn about all sorts of different things and and bird ringing is really one of the fundamental practices that has the ornithology is built on you know the reason we know that birds go from point a to point b you know back in the day medieval people used to think that swallows hibernated in the bottom of ponds yeah um it was only when you can start individually marking birds and you can go hang on the swallows have disappeared from the uk there's now swallows down in South Africa, but you've got no way of knowing whether they're the same swallows unless they've got an individual mark on it. That mark can be a bird ring, and we know that we've had UK rings, uh, UK swallows caught down in the reed beds in South Africa with UK rings on them. Uh, so we're able to prove that that same bird is making that, that, that migratory pathway. And then the other thing is age as well. The reason that we know the ages of birds, if you ever Google the average age of a bird, the reason we know that is pretty much down to ringing because you might have my favorite thing is when people go oh i've had a lovely robin in my garden for the last 10 years <laughs> and you go well no you probably had about five robins in that time because the average lifespan of a robin something like 1.8 years is that it yeah that yeah old? yeah and we we know that because we're able to get to know them as individuals thanks to putting these rings on them so yeah the most the the classic things it helps us learn is where birds go, how long they live, but then when we've got them in the hand, we can take all the measurements. We can learn much more, it's just a much more intimate way of looking at them and gathering that data that can help us spot trends that might be of conservation concern uh, and just build up our knowledge. You can never have too much data about anything, especially in the times that we're in at the minute. No, definitely. And um, I guess when you compare them to say mammals, they're more likely to have distinguishing features, I suppose, whereas birds are a little bit more copy and paste superficially to me yeah. anyway i don't know is that you look yeah, like you're going to punch me then is that yeah, wrong in terms of, yeah in terms of <laughs> recognizing them as individuals do you yeah. mean yes yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i mean although i don't think i could tell a wood mouse from another wood mouse oh i don't know <laughs> you get a little glint in some of their eyes uh, yeah no i know what you mean yeah but yeah it's uh, i mean for example like one of the one of the great things we learned here early on in bird ringing was we'd feed the feeding station look at the feeders and you'd go right We've got about eight or nine blue tits coming to this feeding station, okay? You think that by looking at it. We then put up some nets one morning, and in one morning, in January or February, I can't remember when it was, it was the winter, we caught 66 individual blue tits in Jesus. one morning. We would have not known that without being able to recognise them as individuals. So, you know, there's been some fantastic studies where people have ringed, like, over the course of a couple of years, like, 
150 blackbirds in their garden. And just as an observer, unless you see 150, yeah, like unless you're yeah, wading yeah. through them to get out to your <laughs> bins, like you've got no idea your garden is being visited by that many until you can start realizing, hang on, this is a different one to that one. This is a different one to that one. Um, so it's a really, it's a really powerful tool when it comes to working out population and all sorts of all sorts of various details yeah no that that makes complete sense and when it comes down to picking a spot like where's a good place to to catch birds then right? <laughs> how, do you, how do you do it <laughs> well once you've got your license which yes um, yeah we should mention that yeah so it is it's the british trust for ornithology who oversee this and they're the people that give us our licenses and it is to get your license it takes anywhere between one and a half and three years so i always think it's it's quite interesting that it takes a lot longer to learn to do this than it does to drive a car <laughs> um, which you know can go you can think about that any way you want but um we do to, to safely catch tag ring birds we obviously have to be highly trained um, but once you've got your license and landowner's permission you can pretty much ring wherever you want so people ring all in all sorts of habitats around the uk there's people doing ringing on estuaries where they're catching waders and waterfowl there's people in woodlands scrub sites are often really good for migration um here where we're in the woodland and over the stream um what we're looking for is we're looking to intersect the flight paths of the birds so for example if you've got a woodland ride imagine a footpath down a wood um you'd want to put your net down the footpath yeah because the birds are going to be flying from the vegetation on one side to the vegetation on the other side. Here, we're intersecting their flight path from the vegetation to the bird feeders. Or in the case of the kingfishers over the river, we put it across the river because they're flying up and down that. Um, but yeah, we just you've got to get yourself into the mind. You've got to become the bird. Get yourself into the mind of the blue tip. Channel your inner blue tip. <laughs> exactly. And work out where they're going to go and stick your net in the gap. That makes sense. Well, we'll go check the nets and see if we've caught anything. Sounds good. What have we got, Jack? Got a blackbird, first bird of the morning. Um, very loud blackbird, which is a looks like it. Well, it is a young male. You can see. We'll talk about it a bit more in the light, but it's got like you see the contrast between the black and the brown feathers yeah, on the wing. Yeah. So those brown feathers are still its juvenile feathers that are growing through. Yeah, uh, sorry that it grew through first. Because the males are, are jet black, aren't yeah. they? Like they're unmistakable. Yeah. So this is a bird that you can actually age when you see it yourself in your garden, the male blackbird, because you can see the contrast between the brown and the black on the wing really clearly. Uh, okay. But we'll um, we'll get him in a bag. To chill him out a bit. And just to clarify, that alarm, it's just being uh, a bit of a wimp. Really. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, when I mean, you can see it's chilled out a bit now. Yeah. Yeah. It, but you get you get differences between the species. You know, some species are really chilled out. Things like goldfinches and things will just, you know, they'll just lay there and okay. be very relaxed about the whole process. Um, with blackbirds, it's very individual. Sometimes they're oh. very chill. Sometimes they're just like, I mean, this one, this one's calmed down now. Yeah, it is. It's got, but yeah. sometimes, the, you know, one of the worst birds to catch when you're doing ringing demonstrations, things like woodpeckers. Oh, uh, yeah. It, it just sounds like you're killing them. Um, <laughs> They've got you, the equipment to damage. Yeah, well, they have. And, you know, you're not doing anything different to what you do with the other birds. But... Uh, yeah, they just they just make a lot of noise. Nice. So this one's chilled out a little bit, but we're going to put it in a bag to yeah. uh, to make sure it's um, first catch of the day. Because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you've got the bird in the bag, Jack. What are we doing now with it? So yeah, we've come back from the net. The bird's been in a bag to chill it out a little bit while we've been getting our ringing station ready. And now we're going to take it out and do the process of putting the ring on its leg. 
So we, we say ringing station, it's a bench. <laughs> and <laughs> not to spoil the illusion. That's, yeah, completely peeled back the curtain. <laughs> and we've got like um, a little uh, possible measuring. It's weight. basically all, yeah, the equipment that we need is a book to write down the information, some rings and the ring pliers that we put the ring on the leg with, a ruler to measure the wing length, some weighing scales. Scales, that could be a then bloody word. On top of the weighing scales, a pot for cocoa powder, which oh. just so happens to be the perfect size to weigh a blackbird in. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely had that in mind, didn't <laughs> yeah. they? Okay. Um, so I've got the, uh, the bird out of the bag, and now we're going to hold it by the foot so that we can see its tarsus, which is basically its leg. And then these take a C ring. Right. So we've got different size rings for different size birds, obviously, because they've all got different size legs. And we can pinch the ring around the leg. The the feet, you know when people say birds came from dinosaurs? Oh, yeah. You can see that in you the really feet. Can. Look at that. I mean, this is a common garden bird, and it's you can see three toes forward, one toe back, scaly legs, pointy claws. Yeah, it's it's the dinosaurs never died. No. They're still here. That's a raptor, isn't it? They're it's on incredible. your bird feeders, yeah. Absolutely incredible. So we've pinched the ring together a little bit on these C rings because they're they're quite malleable compared to some of the other rings. So we can pinch them together with our fingers and then we're gonna round them off in the pliers. So that's the pliers have different sized holes in them for different size rings. So we put this one in here and all we're aiming to do is close it nicely. And these rings they, they don't impact the bird in any way, shape or form. Not at all, no. The um the BTO, so the British Trust for Ornithology, who oversee all bird ring and, and who my license is under their line on it is that the bird rings weigh no more to the bird as our mobile phones do in our pockets okay that's a good way of looking so, at so it so that's a way you know just to show that you they, they don't notice it in their no. day-to-day lives and you know there are some ringed birds out there the oldest wild bird is wisdom the albatross who's 70 something at least 70 something and we know she's that old because she's been ringed Oh, all wow. that time so it doesn't it doesn't impact no, their, no, their, no. their life at all i think the oldest bird in the uk is a manx shearwater that's 50 something years old wow. once again we know that because it's been ringed okay so we've got the ring on the bird that's the first thing we do after we've identified it of course um so that's the ring with the unique number that it's going to keep for the rest of its life now and the great thing about blackbirds is that they are surprisingly migratory and here at creswell crags we have found an unfortunate dead one with a norwegian ring on it before um so this one we're in early, well, sort of well into autumn now. So this one could well have come from the continent or it could be a local breeder that, that moves off elsewhere. But um, Is there any it. difference with the continentals? Can you? Well, there's a bit, there's a bit of debate, actually. Okay. Some people say that this one would be a really good candidate for a continental bird. So to describe what it looks like, your blackbird normally has quite a yellowish bill. This one's pretty black. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And, and the black bill... And the sort of darker overall appearance, even though this is a juvenile, so we don't expect it to be really popping. Some people would say this is a great candidate for a continental okay. uh, blackbird. Other people I've seen question that a little bit. Right. But but yeah, uh, that is something that people do say. But, Fair um, enough. But it could well be, yeah. Wow. And we can tell its age because we can see that. It <laughs> <laughs> doesn't like me opening its mouth. The, uh, the contrast between the black and the brown there. Yeah, yeah, you can see that. In, now it's a bit lighter. You can see that really, yeah. really easy. So even on the closed wing when it's hopping around your garden, you can see, yeah, yeah, see yeah, that yeah. black and brown there. Yeah. So you can you can age them when they're in your garden. You can say, you know, people like to say, oh, my blackbird's back. Um, <laughs> but 
you can actually start learning the individuals, even if you just learn that, oh, that's a young male, that's an adult yeah, male. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, so we've aged it. Okay, so what we've next? sexed it, so we're going to write down the age and the sex. Um, so next... So next we're going to do the wing length. <laughs> all right, all right. It's not that bad. So the wing length is 129. And like, this all seems, to, to an outsider like me, yeah. maybe a bit pedantic. Like, what, what, why is wing length relevant or something like that? So wing length and weight, by taking both of them together, mm -hmm. is a really good general indicator of... Uh, things like size and health and things okay. like that of a population. Um, it, it can also be used for things like sexing as well. Okay. Um, okay. So if we're taking biometrics, if we wanted, we could take loads of biometrics. We could do tail length. We could do uh, legs, tarsus length. We could do all sorts of stuff. Right. Um, but we don't want to hold the birds for too long. No, unless that's... it was a specific study, we try and just get an overall idea of the birds. Okay. Uh, status, condition. Yeah, that makes and sense. And the wing length times weight. Is a you know is a good okay it's a good overall okay. quick way of doing it yeah okay that makes sense so once we've done that and we'll just watch it out one time. so once we've done that it goes into the into the pot into the cocoa powder pot so we've got different pots as well for different sized birds smaller birds get the vitamin C tub <laughs> and then the really small birds uh, get the um, old film canister oh yeah, yeah yeah which is a classic among bird ringers is this just all been trial and error like you've just found yeah basically okay, right. exactly okay. fair enough so in it goes so it goes in head first head first yeah and it's just got its ass poking out the pot <laughs> it's nice and dark in there yeah it's wriggling around a little bit so we hope it's gonna there we go settle on 101.4 so 100 and let's jump in around a bit 101 point yeah 101.3 grams we'll call that it's not a lot, is it? I mean, no. I know this is a big, this is a, you know, inverted commas, big bird. It is, yeah, compared to the compared to some of the other birds we'll yeah. catch, which are going to be in the region of 10-ish grams. Wow. Um, you know, this is, what's that, 10 times bigger? Yeah. Um, and for a blackbird, that's pretty good. You know, is some, it? Okay. Yeah, sometimes you get blackbirds that are maybe like low 90s, sometimes even 80s, and you're like, oh, that's, you're not, you're not doing too well. Um, <laughs> but this one, this one's pretty... This one's pretty good. Awesome. So now that's done, he, he let it go. go. It yeah, goes yeah, ready yeah. to go. Nice one. Pretty simple then. Yeah. Obviously, we've took longer because we're waffling. Yeah. But ordinarily, this is a fairly quick process, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. I mean, this, I can, yeah, ring a, a bird like this that's easy to age and you really don't need to look at very much. We could have got this out of the bag, ringed it, wing lengthed it, weighed it, released it, taken all our data in less than a minute. Wow. So it could have been, you know, we got it from the net back here released easily within five minutes cool um, and then that bird is now yeah contributing to scientific data so with the blackbirds we release them on the floor rather than release them out of our hands just okay. because they're terrestrial and you know they like to they like to be able to run off sometimes oh, right so we're fly. just going to put it so down we're just going to tip the uh oh hear him rattling around there we go hey. <laughs> Awesome. I've got the taste for it now. Let's go get another one. So we're after another bird now, a little bit more colourful. Yeah. Uh, Kingfisher, and we've set up a, a net over... I say we, Jack's done all the work. Um, <laughs> you held the pole expertly. <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I'm an expert pole handler. Um, and with a bit of luck, we'll catch a Kingfisher today, uh, which would be absolutely amazing. So to do that, how are we... 
Yeah, so the hope is what we've got here is a, is a pretty narrow stream. It's about three metres wide, conveniently, the length of a little misnet. Yeah. So what this is a great site for doing at this time of year is catching kingfishers, and we catch them semi-reliably here. <laughs> I'd say over the winter period, if we come out ten times, we might catch the kingfisher six or seven. Oh, okay. So it's, so it's pretty good. I'll take those um, odds. You know what? Oh, it, my goodness. Something's, got, something's gone in. Let's go and have a look. I, th- I think I can see some blue on it. You see it? It's a bird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. That That's going to seem like we've... Uh, yeah. That, if it, we're absolutely amazing actors if um, if you think we've we've set that up. We've it, is, def- it is a kingfisher. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. I'm just traipsing through the river. Oh, look at the blue on it. I'm quickly realising that podcast is the wrong medium for such a colourful bird, but I'll uh, describe it as best I can. Oh my, wow, look at that. So we uh, we work out which way it's flown into the net. Okay. Um, so it's obviously come in the direction that we have um, approached the net. Yeah. As we were still looking at it. And then they should be normally quite easy to get out of yeah, the net. Yeah, it's not, it's not tangled up at all. Because you look at this mist net and you think, oh my God, there's going to be an absolute ball of bird in there. But um, yeah, I guess it's a technique as well, is it, to get the bird out? It's definitely the thing that takes you the longest to learn when yeah. you're bird ringing and why you need to be licensed because yeah. you need to know the welfare of the bird comes first. Of course, you yeah. need to know that you can extract it safely without causing any damage. So it's the thing that takes the longest to learn is how to get them out the net safely. So we just have to... Yeah, it. no, that's you obviously have to take the time with the bird for sure oh and there it is it's out the net it looks a bit kind of <laughs> a bit like what's just happened i'm just flying along this morning but they are stunning i mean my favorite thing about the kingfishers we talk a lot about the electric blue on their back which yeah. you see as they're flying away my favorite bit about seeing them close up is their wings and they have this almost i think it's like a starry night yeah they do don't they on their almost on their like shoulders on these wing covers um it's like a little galaxy in the feathers. They just look it's, magnificent. It's a really apt way to describe it. I can't say I've ever noticed that before. Absolutely stunning. I can't believe that. I mean, people are going to think we've set that up. That was just complete... Um... <laughs> we were talking about the chances of getting them. And then, and then one flew in as we you, were watching. You've had that in your... That was in your car boot, wasn't it? You've just chucked that out when I wasn't looking. Awesome. So do we need to take this back to the station to do stuff to it? Yeah, exactly. So Great. we'll do what we always do with the birds, which is put them in a bag to calm them down um, so that when we get back to our yeah. ringing station, we can then get it out, have a closer look. Fabulous. And take the details. Let's go do that. So we're back at the, the station slash bench with with the Kingfisher and we're about to take all the data mm-hmm. so from it. We're just going to get our ageing book out. They're normally pretty easy to age. An ageing book? So. Yeah, so we ha- <laughs> this is the Bible. This is uh, the Lauren de Mongian. There's okay. actually a couple of books that we can use. This is my, okay. this is my particular favourite, which is um, tells us how to age and sex each bird because each bird is different. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when it comes to each species, we're looking at different things. There's general rules that you can look at when it comes to the wear in the feathers and contrast between feather colours. But for each bird, it's slightly different. So we have this book which basically just lists them all. Presumably, like over time, this book would just be in your head. Yes. Like, I mean, so got, exactly. Or learning as it's as it's normally. <laughs> there, but, but like. <laughs> 
<laughs> head, quite things in your head um but you would just pick all this up yeah or... so exactly for, for like for example for the blackbird that we did it we did yeah. that was very very easy okay and, you know, for blue tits and things you wouldn't need to no. and for, for the kingfisher to be honest we probably won't need to but it okay. would just be nice to sort of show what we're looking at um to you here okay so the kingfisher takes a very special ring okay called an s ring which we only put, to my knowledge, I've only ever put them on one swift that I've ringed. Okay. And uh, the kingfishers. Uh, because their legs are so thin? or I don't really know okay. why we put these special special rings on. They've got short, they've got very short stumpy legs. Okay. Um, but only kingfishers and swifts really take these. Well, they're pretty special birds, both of them, aren't they? Very there it is. Bird. It's out of the bag. Beautiful. It is. It's magic. Well, his mouth open in defiance. Would they? Are they aggressive? Would he peck no, you? No, no, they're not. No, he's they're, they're they're very chilled out. Okay, um, they might do a little yeah, a little threat posture. Much much more relaxed than the the juvenile blackbird, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so their their legs are. Yeah, I see you actually kind of struggling to. Tiny there. We're trying to just get it get that tarsus out. From yeah, there, yeah, 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 yeah. From under the feathers, and just look how short that leg is. So what we have to do is is try and get the. Uh... Am I right in thinking that their their feathers aren't actually blue and orange as well? Isn't it a trick of the light? The, they're not blue. Yeah. Not blue. Um, okay. Yeah, it's basically there's no blue pigment within their feathers. They're just. Um, it's yeah. It's how the light refracts or reflects right. through it. What's the advantage of that? No idea. No idea. Okay. <laughs> Google it. <laughs> so we close this ring. He's well behaved. Very well behaved. Yeah. Well, I say he, and and you can feel free to correct me, mm -hmm. but it's got the lipstick on its lower mandible, mm -hmm. so that would suggest female. So this is where there's a nice thing in the book. Okay. So basically, uh, you know, many people will say if there's any orange on the lower mandible, it's a female. Okay. What we look at with the uh, in the book is it tells us that there basically has to be, if there's a pale base on the lower mandible, it has to be less than a third of the bill. Oh, but okay. if you've got like a quarter of the bill with a pale base on it, then it could still be a male. Right. It could be a juvenile male. This so one, though, what are we thinking here then? I think it's a female. Female, okay. Yeah, because it, there's a lot of orange on there. But it, the males don't always have the completely jet black right. bill and it's got that little white bit on the end of its bill so that would suggest it's juvenile because that's the egg tooth is that right or is that not no so that no? will okay. that will have gone by now oh okay um, okay then but there is ways that we can tell it's a juvenile okay go on then which is really nice on kingfishers at this time of year it looks like the top of their legs yeah have been drizzled with chocolate okay yeah yeah, yeah. i can i can sort of see that yeah like a really clear line between yeah, so a bit like our hand in a way, isn't it? So to it a goes, degree. yeah. So it goes from the top of the leg and the top of the feet is brown. Okay, yeah. And then underneath is orange. Yeah, I see. That. In an adult, that's all orange. Right. So that's an example of sort of the really um, the different things we look at in each bird. There's no other bird that you'd look, you know, at like is look the top under of, its feet. Is to the see top it... of its leg <laughs> is the top of its leg brown and the bottom of its leg orange? Another thing we can look at is on the chest. You see it's got all this, um, on the breast feathers, yeah. the orange breast feathers, you see it's got this edged, almost silvery green on yeah, the breast you can. there. Yeah, you can pick that out, yeah. So on an adult, that would all those feathers would just be pure orange. Wow. But on a youngster, 
it's got these uh, almost like frosted greeny tips onto some of those breast feathers. I'm not uh, sure scruffy is the right way to describe them, but they're just not quite as polished yes, as an adult. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, they're not they're not pure um, they're not pure orange. So we're now back by the river. We've mm -hmm. done all the measurements and weights and everything for this kingfisher, and now we're going to let her go. Yeah, so it's time to release her. We release her back down the river. The other birds we can just let go at our, uh, at our little station, but for the kingfishers, we always release them back down the river in the opposite direction to where the net is. That <laughs> makes sense, yeah. So I'm going to pass her over to you. Oh, wow, okay. So and how do I hold her without, without hurting her? Or... So the best way to hold a bird is to put your, so your index finger and your middle finger okay. sort of around the... Around the neck. Around the neck, okay. yeah. You're not. I mean, it's very difficult to choke a bird because they've got very. <laughs> don't try. <laughs> but they've oh. got very tiny, very tiny necks. So you put okay. your fingers um, together around the okay. neck, and then you cradle the okay. body with the rest of your fingers. Okay. So like that. Oh, she's warm. She's very warm and and soft. Well, I never thought I'd hold a kingfisher. What a splendid bird. Okay. So whenever uh, you, whenever you're ready to release her, what you want to do is just if you just pop her down on the uh, the railing. Okay. Yes. So she's not flying directly out of my hand. She's just doing her own thing. Yeah. So if you pop her down on the right. railing, oh, she'll decide. Oh, you go, sweetheart. Where's well, it <laughs> She's just laying there, isn't she? So she's she's probably a bit confused, to be fair. So what we can do then? Because sometimes they just need to know that they can sort of go. So if we roll her around a little bit. And a gun. Wow, straight through the trees, no hassle at all. And there's your classic view of a kingfisher, the blue flash disappearing off down the river. And the sun rising. Beautiful. Fantastic. Well, I think we should go and have a more of a waffle about bird ringing, shall we? Well, I can't believe we got that kingfisher. That is going <laughs> to seem so, uh, <laughs> so well manicured, but that literally happened right in front of our eyes. That was incredible. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was pretty confident. I've seen that they've been around here. But uh, to have it fly in as we were actually stood recording and talking about it was pretty impressive. That was great. And we've had a few of what else we've had. Nut hatch today. What else have we had? Yeah, we've had. It's been a pretty good session in terms of diversity. Um, so we've had kingfisher, blackbird, uh, nut hatch, quite a lot of goldfinches, um, great tit, coal tit, chaffinches. I think that might be. That might be our list. Was it? We've heard a woodpecker yeah. today as well. Heard the great spotted woodpecker. That didn't come down. No. Uh, and the uh, grey wags were being a the bit of a pain. Grey <laughs> yeah. The grey wagtails, for some reason, I think they must be able to see the net better than the other birds because they just tease. Yeah. Tease and titillate oh. <laughs> on the stream over there. I say, don't get me started. One <laughs> um, of the things I've, I've been thinking about recently, and um, I should have asked this before handling all the birds, really, but do you have to be careful with bird flu at the minute? It's a good question. And. Um, Certainly at the moment, with bird flu the worst it's ever been, then it is something we have to be aware of. Now, there's not really any evidence at the minute, at the time of recording, yeah. that um, it's a widespread disease in passerine birds at all. So that is your songbirds, that's your perching birds, that's your garden birds, etc., etc. Bird flu is particularly ravaging waterfowl populations, waders, and uh, the seabirds, of course, at the minute, yeah. uh, over the summer that we've had. Um, if the BTO, we get constant regular emails from the BTO updating us on the bird flu situation and any restrictions that might apply to bird ringing. So bird ringing has been stopped in a few places, particularly in and around seabird colonies at the moment. Um, and during the winter, when the waterfowl often get it, then there's exclusion zones set up where you're not allowed to, to do any ringing. Um, but at the minute, 
with the evidence being that it's not prevalent in the birds that we're catching at all, then we're able to carry on. Um, as always, practice good hygiene, wash the bags after every ringing session, all that sort of stuff, uh, as we always do. But um, yeah, at the minute, thankfully, it doesn't seem to be a major problem in the birds that we're looking at. No, okay, that's. Uh, I was just curious about, obviously, you know, um, when I go to uh, Attenborough Nature Reserve, not too far away, mm. they've asked people to stop feeding the birds. Mm. I guess that's more waterfowl, though, isn't it? Which yeah, is be, and, and there are, I, I believe that there have been some landowners who have um, stopped who have stopped ringing taking place on their site, just as a, a, a real precaution, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To, to exercise that precaution. But at the minute, like I say, there's not really the evidence that it's prevalent in songbirds. Um, but if that was to ever change, then of course we'd, we'd stop because the welfare of the bird is always what comes first. Yeah, of course, that makes uh, that makes complete sense. We kind of touched on it earlier, but I was, and you might have already answered this actually, but do they get wise to the nets then? If they, if you're netting, because you're, you're here once a week, you say roughly? Yeah, roughly about once a week over yeah. this winter period. Um, some of them do, some of them don't. So the grey wagtails, I'm sure that they're, I don't know, for whatever reason, more perceptive and they can see the net. But then we caught a goldfinch today yeah we caught a goldfinch earlier this morning and then we caught it again later this morning yeah, yeah. so that's obviously one it proves that some of them just don't get wise at all and that maybe some of them are stupider than others but also it proves that they're not undergoing any severe level of stress it's not been stunned or anything it was in the net like five minutes later yeah isn't it? so, so it, it's not it's not really traumatizing them to the extent that they're like i can't be around this place anymore there was one morning i remember a few years ago where we caught one great tit um seven times in a morning <laughs> and it just it was hungry like we just we just ended up um memorizing the ring number and then we'd go now to the net but we'd be like oh here we go it's you again and then i remember releasing it it must have been the fifth or sixth time and i was stood on a big 18 meter net uh, and i was at one end of the net and i took the took the great it out turned around released it it flew in a massive arc over the field a big horseshoe shape and then just piled into the net at the far end of the at the other end of the 18 like, meters you, Jack. and I was like oh for god's sake um, so yeah um, but, but that you know that goes to prove that they're not they're not um, they're not overly stressed by the whole thing uh, but some birds yeah th that's obviously not got wise to it um, but things like house sparrows they're quite notorious for once you've caught them once tricky to catch oh, really? them again yeah and um, but yeah, it's important to remember the nets that we're talking about here, these mist nets, um, so that's M-I-S-T, like the fog, they're basically like a badminton net strung between two poles. Yep. They're made out of an incredibly thin, dark, nylon-style mesh. I catch people in them. Like, <laughs> well, I got caught in it, yeah. didn't I? So, yeah. But, I, but you knew it was there, but yeah. I catch people who, you know, might be walking through a woodland ride or whatever, uh, and we've put a net there. Sometimes we've even gone, oh, just be careful, there's a net down there. You know, we're catching birds. And they expect it to be like a big fishing net or something. <laughs> and if you're not looking for it, it just melts into the into the trees. And uh, it's incredible, yeah. You just you find them all tangled up and, yeah. and twitching. We, we, yeah, we've we basically heard people being like, oh, and then you go over there and then <laughs> their zips caught in it and their dogs caught in it. And you're like, oh, <laughs> and you've got to like extract all their zips and everything it's an absolute nightmare oh. so yeah it's not just the birds that don't get wise to it people no people, people no, that, do. that doesn't surprise me particularly um what happens with larger birds then because you know presumably like golden eagle you're not going <laughs> to a net out for those are you? So how, how do you ring the big birds uh well it, uh, there's there's a few different ways of catching 
birds um, and that can be done in all sorts of different ways so you've got cannon netting which oh, wow. is cannon netting is what they use on estuaries for waders and waterfowl so you've got large flocks of birds what you do is you dig tubes into the sand um, that are filled with gunpowder and then a net on top of it like the weights like weights put on top of the gunpowder in the tube like a mortar well, basically okay. and then attached to the weight is all the net you bury it in the sand and you sit there and wait you know hidden someone with the detonator for the flock of waders or waterfowl to get into the right spot when they're in the right spot and there's no birds in the area that the weight's gonna land so you're not gonna obliterate yeah. <laughs> um, that's always good then you hit the detonator and basically it explodes a giant net over the top of the flock and holds them down and some of the catchers they can catch hundreds of birds in one have detonation you done this? i've seen it done, seen it done. Uh, i've been out on the wash mm. um with the wash wader ringing group when they caught they fired on i think about 50 or 60 sandaling they caught in one go uh, and a few uh, ring plover in there as well um but they can catch hundreds in that's one crazy. go. it's it's insane uh, but there's only it's obvious that's even more tightly controlled and there's only a few people around the country licensed yeah to that's it. fair enough um so that's a way of catching some birds. We have all sorts of different traps too. Uh, we've had a couple of traps today. Yeah, we've used them today, haven't we? Yeah. Um, that can be used for catching bigger birds, things like wood pigeons and things. For things like um, eagles, I don't know whether anyone does this in the UK, but it was one of the most badass ways I've ever seen of catching a bird. Is there is, where was it? I saw an advert for a job. I think it was in America uh, a few years ago. And they were catching and tagging uh, it must have been bald eagles. Okay. I think they do this with white-tailed eagles as well. But basically, the big, the carrion feeders, where you get them in large flocks, you know, you get multiple eagles all coming down to a carcass. And what they did is they dug like a shed into the ground, like a bird hide into right. the ground. Okay, so imagine this shed built yep. into the ground, with a few feet sticking above the surface of the ground, with slits in it. So almost like you're in a bird hide. You know, I think I know where this is going, and, and but go on. And you're looking out of this, this gap. And you feed it. You keep putting carcasses out. You keep putting meat out so the eagles know to come down and it becomes you know, a feeding spot for these eagles. And when you get things like bald eagles and white-tailed eagles, they come down and they often bicker and fight and they're you know, moving around or whatever. And you're sat there in your hide waiting. You've gone in under the cover of darkness. The eagles are coming down in the morning. And you literally then, as they're all around you, as you're hidden in this bunker, stick your hand out of the slit, grab an eagle by the legs, <laughs> pull it into the bunker, Jesus. and they like tie it up and put it in a bag, put it in the corner. And the, the theory is if you're fast enough, and it's, and it's when they're all preoccupied with fighting each other. You can get more than one. You can then get more than one. <laughs> and you just grab them and pull them in. And that's the most badass way I've ever heard of catching, more badass than cannon netting, is, uh, is that. So, Mugging an eagle. <laughs> <laughs> And um, wrapping it up, that's just incredible. Wrapping it up. So yeah, there's there's all sorts. There's all, as the the bottom line is, as long as the it, it's fine for bird welfare. Yes, yeah, yeah. You can catch a bird in any way your imagination conceive. Okay, that's got to be worth uh, worth a go. So mm. I wondered, what is the best bird you've had in your hand? Oh, that's a great question. The best bird I've ever had in my hand. Uh, so in Canada once. We caught uh, a female peregrine falcon. Oh, okay. Um, now, lots of people in the UK ring uh, chicks of peregrines and things like that. But this was, uh, you know, she'd flown into a net 
that we'd set up. And in Canada, they have huge uh, migrations of um, birds of prey. So they get, you know, you could be sat there and you can be watching hundreds of hawks flying over and stuff like that. And we, we had this big movement one morning of a bird called a sharp-shinned hawk, which is basically like a sparrowhawk. It's their version of a sparrowhawk. And there was a couple of sparrow sharp-shinned hawks hanging in this net. And the peregrine was wheeling around the, the tip of the bird observatory that were on the spit of land that stuck out into Lake Erie in one of the Great Lakes. And she saw the sharp-shinned hawk hanging in the net and just went for it. Just really? like piled straight in after it, hit the net, hit the hawk, and we were like, oh shit. We ran over to it. Hawk turned out to be fine. She, as soon as she realised she'd got caught in the net, she sort of like rolled to the side and was hanging in this, hanging in the shelves that are in the net. And we were able to get the hawk out and the female peregrine. Uh, two for one. At the same time. But to hold her and just to have the fastest animal on the planet, like in your hands, and you could feel the power. You know, you could feel the power of her flight muscles and you could feel the power in her legs. And she was just really, really cool. So although that's not in Britain, that's maybe the best British bird I've held. It's a, yeah, I think it's, well, it's even more interesting, isn't it? Because I guess the chances of snagging a peregrine in the UK must be yeah. pretty, with a net anyway, yeah. must be pretty slim. Yeah, I mean, even there, it was yeah. pretty, it was okay. pretty it was like... Right place, right time. It was right place, right time. It was a particular peregrine who'd got, got her eyes on this hawk as a bit of a snack. And uh, and just went for it. So no, they take something. So would that be equivalent here? Would a peregrine go for a sparrowhawk? Yeah. Um, So actually, one of the there's this. What's really interesting is you get quite a lot of raptor, raptor on raptor uh, action. Um, (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) This is this not an X-rated podcast now. Then I don't know. (laughs) No, I'm rubbing my knees hard now. Yeah. So you get you get raptors preying on raptors. So things like goshawks. Yeah, I know. They're, they're so they'll, pretty... eat, they'll eat kestrels, they'll yeah. eat sparrowhawks quite regularly. Peregrines, I mean, they can hunt birds up to the size of cranes. Um, a, fe- a big female peregrine, yeah. I mean, they take geese quite regularly. Really? Um, I yeah. did not know that. Yeah, they'll take geese. Um, but a female peregrine, being a third larger than the male, um, she's an absolute monster. And yeah, she'll they'll take, they'll take big prey. Um, but they'll also just... <laughs> some people in peregrine territories will just find dead buzzards just on the on the floor the peregrine hasn't hunted them but it's flown too close to their territory and they'll literally just pile out of the sky you know punch it into next week and it'll just <laughs> it'll just they'll just kill it and there's a mate in gibraltar bird observatory uh on the you know right down on the south of spain there's birds are crossing over from morocco on migration so in the spring they're coming up crossing the strait of gibraltar coming into europe there's a pair of peregrines that nests on the rock of gibraltar and you get all these griffin vultures and um, honey buzzards and all sorts of species flying over. And the peregrines just go batshit crazy because <laughs> they see them all as threats. And honestly, it's like they're just punching birds out the sky. And like griffin <laughs> vultures, like landing in the sea and having to be rescued. Really? And the, the peregrines will just, you know, these slow flying raptors, um, the peregrines will just be like punching them like whack-a-mole, <laughs> like out of the sky. Uh, just knocking them, yeah, into the sea, onto the floor, uh, and they're not hunting them; they're just protecting their own. Saying, "Get their, away, get yeah. out of my territory." But they're so they're so badass and ferocious. They are. They're up there, aren't they? They're, yeah. they're one of the best. Not even just in the UK, like you say, in, in the world, they're in, incredible creatures. Mm. If we've inspired people to get into bird rigging, what's the kind of uh, process? What's the kind of steps they should take? So we're really lucky in the UK that. We are one of the few countries in the world where it's so accessible. 
um, because we have the BTO and we have the ability to do it in our spare time. You know, this isn't a job. This isn't my job. This is a, a, something I do in my spare time, a, a very scientific hobby. It's a rare job, isn't it? Yeah, it's a rare. If you want to get paid to be a bird ringer, I mean, you can get research jobs that require it, require the skill, or you can work in a bird observatory where you're constantly monitoring um, birds through ringing and other surveys and things like that. But it, what it does mean is that it's very easy for people to get involved with. And um, all you need to do, if you are interested, is you go on the BTO website, and there's a web page on there called Find a Trainer. You go in there, you type in your postcode, and it'll bring up the nearest licensed BTO trainer to your location. It comes up with their email address. Literally just write them an email, say I'm interested in bird ringing. Uh, what normally happens is if they've got space to take on a new trainee, they'll say, yeah, come out for a couple of sessions, see how you find it. If you can hack the early mornings, um, if you can hack the level of dedication that you need, because I would say um, it's not something you can dip in and out of because it's a skill to be confident handling birds, to be confident taking them out of nets. You really do need constant practice to do that and also to learn how to age them uh, and to learn how the molt works and to learn the intricacies of the feathers that you're looking at. You're only going to get that by doing it regularly. So if you can commit to two or three weekends weekend days a month because in generally what happens is uh because it happens in people's spare times most ringers go out on a saturday or a sunday so for me i went out every sunday that i could from being 17 to you know whenever i got my license so if you can commit to the time get in touch with the trainer if they've got space they'll invite you out it's literally as simple as that and then you can just start your your journey and it's the best thing i ever got involved with without a doubt it looks, it looks fun. It looks quite addictive, to be honest. I think yeah. if, I, if I got into it, I'd, I'd be out doing it all the time. It is. And I mean, like, especially when we were, most of us got into biology because we liked crawling around catching things. And now I get to do that for science. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's a really cool thing to do. It looks good fun. And before we go, uh, Jack also hosts uh, a podcast. So if you just, mm. what's, well, what's, what's the podcast called and where can people find it? Podcast is called How Many Geese. Um, and it's a bit of a sort of comedy nature podcast that I co-host with a another sort of naturey mate of mine, Roddy Shaw. And um, you can find it everywhere. I'm going to do the classic. It's just everywhere. <laughs> wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah. You know, it's on Spotify. It's on iTunes. It's on all those places. So, uh, yeah, have yeah. a listen. Well, well worth tuning into it if, uh, if you've not already. Well, look, mate, it's a pleasure to come out with you again. Had a great day. We've caught lots of uh, interesting birds and learned a little bit about bird ringing. So, yeah, thanks for having me. No worries. Always a pleasure. That was Jack Baddams. I know everyone's going to think that we faked that kingfisher, but I promise you we literally walked up and the bloody thing went in the net. So that was just bonkers. Love Jack to bits. He's so passionate about what he does, so knowledgeable. Always a pleasure spending time with him. And as I say, if you haven't already, do check out his podcast, How Many Geese. I've listened to a few episodes now and really enjoy the kind of mix of just fantastic facts in it and witty humour as well. Now, if you want to follow me on social media, you can. On Twitter, it's Jack Perks Photo. On Facebook, it's Jack Perks Wildlife Media. And on Instagram, it's at Fish Twitcher. Over on YouTube, it's Jack Perks Wildlife Media as well. And the podcast also has its own social media. If you just search for the Bearded Tits podcast, we're on Facebook and Twitter as well. If you haven't already, please consider donating something to buymeacoffee.com. It does help the podcast ticking along and just makes me want to do these sort of things. I am still hunting for sponsorship. That would be the dream. It'd be nice to get a good chunk of change for that. 
but that is ongoing. Now, next week's podcast is all about beavers. So I head up to Idle Valley Nature Reserve in Nottinghamshire and I meet Elliot Keane from Nottinghamshire Wildlife Trust as we have a traipse around the largest beaver enclosure in the country and we talk a little bit about beavers, why we should potentially bring them back, are there any downsides to that, are there any good signs to that and we also get to see some beaver signs as we walk around. It's going to be a great podcast. This has been the Bearded Tits podcast. I've been your host, Jack Perks, and I'll see you next Tuesday. Cheers.